Well, welcome again, and uh, happy Palm Sunday. It is the day before, it is the first day of the week that is the beginning of the beginning, or the beginning of the end. It depends which way you look at it. But I want to talk today to you today about one king and two kingdoms. One king, two kingdoms. Palm Sunday, a day of historical and religious celebration. Because a king is entering the city. The king is coming into his kingdom. And the people are rejoicing and they're celebrating with the king. However, as we're going to see throughout the day, that there are a few here that are celebrating the coming of a kingdom that is not aligned with the kingdom that Jesus is coming in to establish. And, with, and as with human nature... It only takes a few to stir up a great commotion of emotion. It only takes a few to stir up the pot. And thus we see a huge throng of people that are crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And in all honesty, they have no idea what they're talking about. Read with me Matthew chapter 21, verse 9 and 10. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up and they asked, Who is this? <laughs> who is this? We're saying, Hosanna. Blessed is, the name, uh, blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the whole city is up in an uproar. And people are saying, who is it? Who, who are we celebrating? Isn't that just like human nature? We get so wound up in the commotion of the emotion and we really don't have any idea what we're celebrating. Look at the political realm we're in today. Look at the political agendas, what's going on today. People are getting all wrapped up over political agendas and quite honestly ask somebody, who is it? And they probably can't tell you his platform. They probably can tell you very little about what he really believes, but yet they're all, they're all cranked up over him. Makes us really think. Many were celebrating that day even though they didn't know who they were celebrating for. They were just caught up in the excitement of the day that somebody special was coming. Now, I don't want to jump too far ahead this morning in the message, but I just want to say this, that the crowd mentality of that day still exists today. Many people jump on the bandwagon of a popular movement and get all excited and get all involved without ever really knowing what the cause is. History points out that many of that day, 2,000 years ago, really missed the entire point of why Jesus was coming into the holy city. They didn't really have a clue and they missed it. And can I also say that there are many today that may go to church week after week and get involved in all kinds of church programs and get involved in all kinds of activities and get a part of the big church crowd that may be missing the same purpose of who Jesus is as they were missing it. Yeah. It's not just being part of the crowd. It's not just being part of the throng that gets the point. And we need to recognize that. So we're going to uncover today the various expectations of that day in the life of Christ and as he was entering that city. And again, the sad fact is that so many today are missing the same point, that Jesus is entering the holy city of Jerusalem. 
to establish a kingdom. And yet many others were establishing another kingdom. So one king, two kingdoms. One kingdom of this world, the natural kingdom, the one that we can see and touch and the one that we can associate with, but also the one that's going to pass away. And then there's the kingdom of eternity, the spiritual realm, the one that is unseen but yet very real and the one that will last forever. So to set the stage, we need to do some reading. So open up your Bible to Luke. Luke chapter 19. Open up your Bible. We have a number of verses to read. Luke chapter 19. I want to read the story beginning at verse 28. We're going to read 28 through 44. Luke chapter 19. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, and I pray, God, that you open our eyes, our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears, that we would see and hear the word that you're putting in our hearts today, that we would not miss the time of God coming to visit us. I pray, Father, that we really listen today and listen to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the stage is set. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. The excitement of the day is building into a fervor. Finally, finally, in the minds of his closest disciples, his day has come. But the question is, do the people of the day recognize Jesus for who he really is and what he's about to do? Not just the people in the city, but his closest disciples. Do they really see it? Do they really see it as well? They see Jesus' It said, as we read it, that they went ahead worshiping Jesus and the whole crowd, crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen in the past. For all the good things he'd done in the past, they saw that and they were worshiping him. But they, did they really have a clue what the week was going to hold up for them? Did they really understand what was coming? Even though Jesus told them very clearly earlier what was going to happen, did they really know it? And the same question can be asked of us today. Do the people today recognize who Jesus is and what his purpose is any more than they? Even though we have history, even though we have the Bible. 
And this may sound like a simple and obvious question because, of course, we're going to say we do. Of course, they understood that the disciples understood it. Of course, Matthew and John and Peter and all those that were with him, of course, they understood who Jesus was. Of course, I do. I mean, I go to church. Come on, I, I'm, I've been to church all my life. Of course, that's just the obvious answer. So what I'm asking you today is put aside the obvious for a minute and let's dig a little deeper here and say, do we really understand it? Do we, are we really getting the picture here? The reason I say that is because there are situations that even the closest people miss. I want to take you to another part of the story. Six days before, six days before this, Friday before the week of Palm Sunday, okay? It's Friday, Jesus comes to the home of Simon to spend some time with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, which, as we know, Lazarus was just recently raised from the dead. Okay, this is all in that same time frame here. So there's a, a bunch of people in the house. Of course, his disciples are there. They're all enjoying the company. This is just a nice time of fellowship. There's no ministry going on here. Jesus isn't healing anybody. He's not preaching. This is just a time of fellowship. Okay, they're all in a room here. And all of a sudden, somebody... Some woman named Mary feels the inspiration to anoint Jesus with an alabaster jar of oil, very expensive perfume. So let's read the story here. And let's read what happens. Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 12. You can turn it in your Bible or you can just listen. While Jesus was in Bethany in the house of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. Just, Jesus was just relaxing at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on, the, on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. But we have to go back to verse 8. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. The disciples, the ones that had walked with Jesus, the ones that had seen Jesus perform miracle after miracle, the people, the ones that had seen Jesus forgive people of their sin and set them free, from demon possession and all other things that were destined to destroy them. He saw people raise, he saw, they saw Jesus raise people from the dead. Lazarus, sitting right next to here, right in the same room, was dead a few days ago and now he's alive. And a couple of them even saw Jesus change in appearance in the Transfiguration Mount when he was there with Moses and Elijah. But yet, they were indignant about this act of worship. Something's not right here. Something's not right. Does this sound like something those closest to Jesus should be saying if they truly understood who he was? If they really understood that he was coming to establish a kingdom of eternal purpose, do you think they would have been so concerned about the things of this temporary world? That they would be concerned about this jar of perfume? That this woman was anointing on Jesus? Do you, do you, they were missing it, guys. Do you see the point? They were missing it. The closest ones to Jesus were still missing the point. That, made, that, 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 that just screams out to me, Mike, 
what are you missing? What am I missing? I don't want to be so naive nor so proud that I don't think that I can miss what God's doing amongst me, amongst us. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are way above our ways and our thoughts. And maybe the things that are happening in my life, maybe the sicknesses and the sorrows that are in my life, maybe they're there for a reason and I'm not seeing it because I've got my eyes focused on the eternal the, or the temporary things of this world. And maybe I'm measuring things differently than the way Christ is measuring things. And maybe I'm missing the kingdom. They missed it. Now let's fast forward to the triumphal entry. Let's fast forward now to six days later. The event is, this event is filled with, with many kinds of meetings, meetings of various kinds. It's hard, and it's hard to think of any close equivalence today that would parallel the mood of this entry and this presentation of Christ. It might be compared to a political convention. It might be compared to Donald Trump. And he comes in and the stir that he causes. Jesus is no Donald Trump. I'll tell you that right now, okay? I just want you to know that. But it's easy to see how we, how people get wrapped up in stuff, whether they believe it or not. Recognize that when Jesus came onto the picture here, obviously he came with a different perspective than what the masses were thinking about. He came with a different perspective. He came with a different kingdom in mind than what the masses were speaking about. Christ was being heralded the king and he was okay with that. He was okay with that because he knew what he was becoming the king over. He, doesn't, he wasn't coming in prideful. He knew that he was going to be declared the king of kings, the Lord of lords that week. What was ahead of him was to set him above all kings and all lords for all eternity because he was going to be obedient to the call of the Father. And he was okay with that. But the masses of the people weren't seeing it that day. I have a little video, Larry. I'm going to show this little video that helps us understand that a little bit more. The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed! the king of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might. But he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory. But he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies. But he came, saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors. But he came, offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be what they wanted. And they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, crucify! Pilate asked Jesus, Are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. 
It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our king. See the difference in the kingdoms? The kingdoms that would come through chaos and war and setting up political agendas and social issues and so those things. Do you see the difference between that kingdom and the kingdom of forgiveness and the kingdom of righteousness and the kingdom of humility? Jesus is declaring that he's setting up the kingdom of God and it's going it's to be established through his voluntary suffering and his death. He's not claiming it by his own power. He's not coming with his might. He's coming with his humility. And he's going to set up a kingdom that lasts forever. But is this what, is this, is this what the Pharisees and others had, were anticipating? Turn back a couple chapters in Luke. Go to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, The coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, Here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. You see, Jesus came with an agenda that was not matching up to the agenda of the Pharisees. Jesus' kingdom that he was setting up cannot be measured by human terms and thus we will you will not see a political structure or a social agenda rather you will see the kingdom of god in your midst it's already here he was saying to the to the pharisees it's already here if you guys would just take off the spiritual scales from your eyes and see it it's already here and you don't even see it it can be within you if you would only accept it it's in your midst. But the kingdom of God, and, uh, but the kingdom of the Pharisees and, and, and even the Jewish zealots, they were looking for one that could be seen in human terms. They were looking for one that, that would bring them freedom from the, from the bondage of human ro uh, rule. They were looking for a political and a material kingdom. They were looking for Jesus to set them free from the physical and the financial bondage of Rome, the, the heavy taxation, being under the rule of man-made kingdoms. They were looking for a king that could get them what they wanted. They were looking for a king with a mentality of what's in it for me. A kingdom of what's in it for me. What can you do for me, Jesus? What can you do for me? That was the kingdom that they were looking for. Whereas Jesus was referring to the kingdom of the heart, a kingdom that is unseen but yet very real. A kingdom that doesn't necessarily free us from the bondages of this world necessarily. And we're still going to go through some hard times. Physically, we're going to suffer. Physically, we're still going to have to go through some difficult times in our person. But yet, the spirit of the man can be set free in the kingdom that Jesus is establishing. This is a type of kingdom that says, what can I do to serve you versus what can you do or what can you get out of me? We should be saying, 
Jesus, with the kingdom that you're setting up in my heart, that's not about what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? Well, how can I serve you? How can I serve those in the kingdom with me? How can I pick up the towel and wash the feet of my brothers and sisters? That's what Jesus did. That was the kingdom that he was bringing in. And that's the same kingdom today. It wasn't any different. It's the same kingdom today. But yet, for the masses, there's still the mentality of what can Jesus do for me? Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. Now, here's what I expect when I do that. I expect you to heal me. I expect you to provide of all my earthly needs. I expect you to be my uh, trouble, my way to get out of trouble. Because we see turning to God as a way to make our life here better, as a way to make my, my temporary life here better. So therefore, God, when I give my life to you, I'm expecting you to come through for me now, God. <laughs> How many times do we see it when disaster strikes that the masses turn to the church? Look at 9-11. How the churches were packed for a few weeks after 9-11, and it wasn't just but a few weeks or a few months. Where were the people? They were not in church anymore because the disaster was over. How many times do we see our perspective of God's kingdom being so self-centered that it's all about, God, what can you do for me? No wonder we're missing the mark. No wonder we're really not peaceful. No wonder we're really not enjoying the blessings of God because we have the wrong mentality. We're in the wrong kingdom. One king, two kingdoms, and we're not yet in the right kingdom. We're close. We think we are, maybe, but our perspective is still about me. God's kingdom says no. God's kingdom changes the person from being a self-centered person to a God-centered person. When the kingdom of God truly settles in a man's heart, it changes the person from the inside out. It changes me from being all about me into, God, what can I do for you? Totally different perspective. When God's kingdom begins to build and and grow within a man, we will exhibit Christ-like characteristics, including righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom that Jesus was coming to build in the kingdom of the heart, not in the kingdom of the world. Totally different perspectives. This is a kingdom that has authority over spiritual darkness of this world. This is a kingdom. When I understand this, well, listen, this is very important. When you and I understand this, we have great authority. I want to give you some examples. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Isaiah 45, verse 24. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. 2 Thessalonians verse th- chapter 3, verse 3. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Now, the thing that was common in those four verses and many, many other verses in both the Old and New Testament is the term, the Lord. The Lord. But what does that mean? Listen real close. What does it mean when I call the Lord, the Lord? The Hebrew word here is Yahweh. 
And this was the proper name of the one true God. And it was so proper that for the Jews of the day, they couldn't even pronounce, they wouldn't even say it. It was a very rarely said word, but they would spell it out. They would spell it out, Y-H-W-A, with no vowels. We say it, we spell it out, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. But it was such a proper name for God that they wouldn't even, it was an unutterable name. And according to Strong's Concordance, it means knowledge, and the use of the name implies personal or covenant relationship. So when I call the Lord the Lord, what it implies is that I have a relationship as a covenant between me and the Lord. So therefore, it's not just a casual pray to God. No, it is, uh, he is my Lord. He has ownership of my life. We talked about it yesterday in our le- leadership training. What does it mean to be a steward? Well, we have to recognize who's the owner. When I recognize that God truly is the owner of me and everything about me, that I can recognize him as the Lord. And when I make him the Lord of my life, now, now when I recognize that, Now the Lord is my strength and my defense. The Lord will renew my strength. The Lord alone is my deliverer. The Lord is faithful and he will strengthen me and protect me. When I truly make him the Lord, do you know how much power you have? If I don't make him the Lord, there's no power there. We're in the wrong kingdom. We have to recognize that for us to have the power of the kingdom that we truly have to make him Lord of our life. And that is in all areas of my life. That is when I'm on the job, when I'm in school, when I'm with my playtime, when my free time, when my mind uh, goes to just in many places where I daydream. If I'm daydreaming stuff that's not of God, then he's not the Lord. When I'm taking my time and I'm wasting it on things I shouldn't be wasting it on, he's not the Lord. Do you understand that? If he's going to be powerful in your life, if you're going to be in the right kingdom, he has to be the Lord of all kingdoms in your life, not just the ones you want to give him, but even the ones you don't want to give him. That creates the power of being in the right kingdom. Those that have the knowledge of who the Lord is, they are the ones that see Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem that day as the king of heaven, a kingdom that lasts forever. And they are the ones that surrender unto Jesus as king of their own lives while they're living in this earthly kingdom. When I recognize Christ as who he is today, and he is the Lord of heaven in my life, I have power in my life. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Now, God certainly understands the physical world, and he certainly understands that he, he can be the king of that too. But he's got to be the king of my heart first. The reason that God came into this world was to impact spiritual change that results in eternal life. This is a change that occurs in my life and in your life from the inside out. When God establishes that kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, it changes me, changes you from being that man or that woman who you were yesterday into a new man or a new woman that can be used of God greatly because now the kingdom of God lives in your heart. You're in the right kingdom. This is not the kingdom that the Pharisees or the Jewish zealots wanted. That's not the kingdom they were looking for. 
Jackie, if you'd come, I want to start winding this down. They were, not, they were not looking for that kind of a kingdom. So, you know, it's really not surprising that the masses missed it. And it's really not surprising that the devil is very concerned today with still having the masses miss it. It's Palm Sunday can be the most important and significant Palm Sunday in your life if you've never seen Jesus as a Lord this way if you've never really seen him as who he needs to be, if you've always placed him as a good teacher. See, when, when the Pharisees called out to that day, good teacher or teacher, tell those to stop talking. What they were doing, they were declaring that day that you're not Lord. You're just a good teacher. So when we think of Jesus as just a good teacher, then he's not Lord. Maybe you've seen Jesus as a good man. Maybe you've seen him as a good teacher. Maybe you've seen him as a good God. Maybe you've seen him as a good thing to believe in. But if you've never really seen Jesus as the king of your life's kingdom, then understand you're in the wrong kingdom. One king, two kingdoms. Let me tell you right now, you have an enemy called Satan, and Satan wants to make sure that he keeps God as the king of this world, not the king of your heart. Understand that? That he does not want you to see Christ as the king of your heart. He just wants you to see Christ as a good guy. He's a good king somewhere, but not the king of your heart. That's Satan's attempt to bring discouragement and to bring destruction to your life because as long as Jesus is able to be kept at such a lowly earthly kingdom, he will never have power in your life. You'll never be set free. You're always going to struggle. You're always going to have ups and downs in life. You're always going to let the, life, the things of this life take over for you. The only way you're going to have true freedom and true understanding of who God is is when you allow him to be the king of your heart. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that? How do you do that? It's real easy. You just say, Jesus, be the king of my life. You recognize that he came for the right reasons. You recognize that he came to set up an eternal kingdom that lives within me. It's in my midst. It's here right now. And I don't need to go outside to find it. No, it's right here. I don't need to have a big house to find it. I don't need to have a great job to find it. I don't have to have all my needs met. I just need to know that God meets my needs and he's my king and he's my master. So this morning, I would have you just examine your heart with me. Would you close your eyes with me this morning? Let's do a little soul searching today. Let's really examine our heart and life and say, you know, is he really the king of the right kingdom? Or did I place him the king of the kingdom of Mike? Or am I in the kingdom of heaven? Thank you, Jesus. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in the, uh, in the emotion of the day. Like they were caught up in the emotion of Palm Sunday. So this morning, I don't want this to be an emotional appeal. But I want it to be a real heartfelt appeal. I want you, along with me, to look at the facts of Scripture. To know who Jesus really is. Not because we do things because everybody else does things. That's why, that's why this is a very personal time. That's why when we have these moments of reflection like this and we ask people for an altar call, 
and we ask people to evaluate it because it's not about who you're sitting next to right now. It's about what's your relationship with the one that wants to be in your heart right now. So I know that we've had altar calls here in this church many times, and I know you all may think you're all saved, and maybe we all are, but I'm going to say it one more time. I'm going to give the Creator one more opportunity to call you personally. So with all eyes closed, please, all eyes closed, this is a very serious time. If Jesus needs to be the King of your life anew, maybe He's been there before, maybe you've walked away a little bit. If He needs to be the King of your life, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seat and come to the front and make him the king today. If he's been there, and maybe he's taken a back seat a couple times throughout your week today, if you want to make Jesus the king of your life and you want to, and you want to declare it to the devil and to the world, would you join me here? This is not saying you're a bad person. This is not saying you've fallen off the wagon. This is just recognizing that Jesus Christ is the king of kings in your life. I give you the opportunity now for those that he's a, he is the king of your life. Do you want to celebrate it now? Can we celebrate now truly what this means? Would you stand up with me? Can we have a little celebration time? Can we sing this song and mean it now? Because if Jesus truly is the king of your life, do you realize what that means? Can we have a little emotion? Can we, can we let the Lord know that he really is the king of what we say he is?
we love you we celebrate who you are today and guide us we go into our homes as we go to our places of living of living lord we just pray that you would go with us king of kings lord of lords as we celebrate who you are in jesus name amen